Because there's just nothing better than this. The TrojanSports.com podcast kicks off. Right now? Right now. No, no, I don't know. You said. Cock-a-doodle-doo, Bob. Oh, yeah. Direct from Rivals and Yahoo Sports. This, this is the TrojanSports.com podcast. For a USC with Trojan Sports Publisher, Chris P. Swanson. Moving on. You, love you better cut that out, man. I swear. That better, I better not hear that on the podcast. You mean about the him doing that? Yeah, we broke down. The, the Beat reporter, Adam J. Maya. Here we go. Yeah. Message boards. We start March. Yeah. It's the weekly radio show you need for everything USC. Is that your first joke? Follow Trojansports.com on Twitter at USC underscore rivals. The Trojansports.com podcast kicks off now. now, now. We're back on another edition of the Trojansports.com podcast. I'm the publisher of Trojansports.com, Chris Swanson. I'm joined by our beat writer, Adam Maya. Adam, how are you today? I'm okay. I mean, I'm, I'm in a tough place right now. I wasn't sure what we should do tonight. I, I kind of thought maybe we just re-release our show from last week, but I don't know if that would go over very well. So we're recording. I'm not sure what I'm going to say, but let's do it. We actually had a serious discussion about that, but Adam decided that it would take too long to edit out, you know, Arizona and replace it with Colorado. <laughs> It'd probably just be easier to record a new podcast. So that's what we're doing. Um, yeah, interesting game up in Boulder. <laughs> I, think you, sure. I think you used that word to begin the last one. You know, I call every game interesting because uh, I try to tiptoe around offending, and uh, then I usually don't uh, towards the end of the show, and I just give up and I say something terrible. But Adam, what did you think of uh, USC's trip out to Boulder and uh, this uh, interesting game? I'll call it interesting again. What did you think? Well, I made the trip, and it was beautiful. Love Boulder. Good food. Underrated food town. Denver. I really, I spent more time in Denver. But I'm um, impressed with the food. I, I've been there before, but maybe I wasn't paying attention. Anyway, so by the end of the game, I'm just being sincere right now. I'd forgotten that USC at one time led 27 to nothing. I forgot that that was the case, and the conversation in the press box was whether USC would post its first shutout since 2011 versus UCLA. That's what this game felt like for a good portion of it, about two and a half quarters, similar to the week before with Arizona, where it was so one-sided beyond halftime, not just the first half. Then by the end of the game, I thought it was an end 38-31 because the Colorado receiver dropped the touchdown uh, late, you know, in the final minute. I mean, USC was going to win. The game was never in doubt. It wasn't quite the same as the Arizona game. It just seemed like a lot to give up. Uh, it kind of probably left a weird taste in their mouth. I know the defensive players weren't happy coming out of that locker room. But... We don't have to dwell on that. We really don't. I mean, I feel like we've kind of touched on that the whole year because nearly every game is played out in some form of this one. One of my takeaways from this game was that when USC's locked in, which it does for more than just brief periods, it does it for sustained periods, when it's locked in, they look really dominant. They don't really have a glaring weakness up and down the roster. They're pretty good at everything. They're not bad at anything, and it's hard to find where they're average. They're pretty good at everything. They're just not like that all the time. They're not like that consistently. And that's the sign of immaturity, like we mentioned before. But the ceiling is really high. And I think that's probably why you and I and others have come back to this whole Final Four and why they're not in it. Because they could be in it. They, yeah. That's reasonable. They could be in it. I don't think that like they failed because they're not going to make it. I just think that 
that was on the table. That the potential was there. That they could have beaten Wazoo. That was a winnable game. And the more I think about that game, if Toll Lovingon plays, he had a staph infection that came about during that week of practice, so they really didn't prepare to not have him. He went down in the middle of the week. If Toll Lovingon plays that game, maybe that alone would have tilted the scale and they win that game. I don't know that. I just mentioned it because I think that they're really close. That they're really close to being 10-1 right now. And I think they actually should be 10-1. But they're not. Yeah, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. Um, I'm going to touch on a lot of what I, I liked from the Colorado game. Uh, because I think that pretty much anybody that listens every week can uh, figure out what I don't like and what I could complain about. And it's pretty much the same as last week. But thought early in that well first of all i think the talent like you mentioned uh shows through at some point in every game uh, it really does uh usc scary talented they're more talented than i thought uh they would be before the season honestly and um you know i think that maybe they're a little bit more average on the offensive line defensive line but outside of that uh there's not many teams that i look at every week to play college football and i think oh they're better than usc or they're as good as usc it's a very select few. So I think that shows out, uh, up every week at some point, and I think it showed up when USC was destroying Colorado 27 to nothing. Uh, I thought that that's probably pretty much how that game should have gone uh, if USC was playing up to its full potential. I think they, they showed that they probably, if, if they had a complete game, could have beat Colorado by as many points as they wanted to. Um Early on, I also I really liked the play calling and uh, how things were going for USC and the game plan and the approach early on in the game. I thought that USC came into that game and said, it's going to be hard for Colorado to stop the run. And I think even when Colorado sold out and did a pretty good job of stopping it, it was tough for them. I liked, I liked how they approached it. They ran the ball. They kind of played a conservative game. You know, let's, let's let our defense handle Colorado. Uh, let's run, let's play smart. Uh, just, they didn't really score early. I thought there were some, you know, questionable play calls or questionable decisions maybe that prevent them from scoring early, but it still worked out, and they, they got to a 14-point lead. And I also think that when Colorado really did start taking the run away from them, they put the ball in Sam Darnold's hands, and I thought he was amazing uh, for a stretch in that game uh, when he had the ball. I thought that... that he, when the offense was on his shoulders for a stretch, he was really impressive. And when they got away from that conservative game plan that I like so much, it worked out and they, everybody looked smart and, you know, and everything was flowing. And, and I was impressed early on. I was so impressed with USC, but like you said, the narrative changed quickly. Uh, it, it, the game got way closer than it should have. It felt like, you know, Maybe if things didn't start so well for USC, it actually would have been a game against a team that you know now has six losses. So, yeah, same thing as every week. But I thought that USC showed signs, like you mentioned, of wow, you know, this is a really this could be a really scary, talented team. And maybe by the time uh, the postseason rolls around and they get another national shot to prove themselves, they'll have it together and they'll you know blow somebody out and finish with a pretty record and a Pac-12 championship and. And, you know, a lot of impressive accomplishments this season. But it's just uh, it's just interesting. There's just an interesting team to watch because it never seems to come together for them completely. Uh, and I, I, you know, don't really see that very often. Uh, yeah. Teams. So. I don't really want to make a big deal about the mini comeback that Colorado had. There's a human element to that where USC is winning by so much. And I think, too, when you go up by 27 – you can afford to kind of let go a little bit. I mean, I know not everybody will like it. I understand. But it it's a moot point in this game. And USC was never threatened. They were all they always they maintained a double digit lead the entire game. This was different than Arizona in that way. Arizona came back and tied the game. Yeah. That's why I felt like that game was much more concerning that USC would allow four touchdowns to Arizona in, in a row, four drives in a row yeah. in the second half. And 
go go from leading by 22 to being tied at home. This looks different than that. This looks a lot of garbage time. So, while some of the numbers might look a little similar, or you know, they won by 14 in both games, and Colorado scored 24 in the second half, and Arizona the week before had scored 29 in the second half. A lot of that can line up, but they weren't identical games. I think that uh, you earned it. You know, they they basically had won this game early. So I, I'm not going to make too much of that. I do want to come back to something that you had said about play calling. It, it might have sounded like you were contradicting yourself, but I understood what you were saying when you said that you you really liked their approach and you liked uh, what they were calling, especially early on, and then you felt like maybe situationally you didn't love it. Um, and that might come back to how they change hands among play callers. And we've admittedly been really hard on Key Martin, and maybe it's misplaced to some extent because Key Martin's not calling third down. And I don't know that he's calling fourth down either. That's never been directly acknowledged by the coaching staff who's calling fourth down. Yeah. But, it, well, I want to say this. They're really good on early downs, and they were in this game. Their second down efficiency in this game was near 50%, which is really high for second downs. But then their third down efficiency was... Four of fourteen, you know, and, and they've, they've kind of gone up and down. They've had some games where they've been really good. They've had some games where they've been really, really bad. And in fourth down, they were one for three. They it was not good. They, they haven't been good for the entire season. They're seven for twenty, which is not good. When you're going for the fourth down, more often than not, it's fourth and short, and it should be closer to fifty percent. They've been right above thirty-three percent. So maybe. We've been pointing the finger at the wrong person at times. Um, I like the play calling too in this game for the most part. The calls I didn't like were just in that first quarter where it was fourth and short, fourth and four on the first drive, and they really moved at will on that drive. They'd run real well, and they were driving down the field, and Chase McGrath, their kicker, right now is compromised. It was evident that he was not comfortable. He's had a groin injury, which is about the worst injury that you can have as a kicker. And they have him go in there and attempt a 40-yarder. He doesn't make it. And it wasn't just he didn't make it. Prior to that, my thought was, go for this. You know, it's the first drive of the game. You know, just step on their throat. You're not worried about not converting it and... Colorado jumping ahead or something. It wasn't even a short field for Colorado if you don't convert. I thought they should have went for it there. Stayed, remained aggressive. They were moving the ball so well. They kick. They miss. And then the very next drive, they drive again, and it's fourth and one following a 10-yard completion from Darnold. And you know, they're in the shotgun, and they have like a Cedric Ware back there. Fourth and one. He gets stuffed. And of course, you can't help but think, why isn't Rojo on the field? That's the first thing. Within their offense, why isn't Rojo on their why isn't Rojo on the field? But bigger picture, why can't Darnold be under center? Why can't there be a fullback? Even in limited duty. Later in the game they actually they had two tailbacks on the field. They had Rojo and Ware. And they used Ware as the fullback, and they converted a short yardage situation. Even that, even if it's just two running backs, or two tailbacks, excuse me, they don't really have a true fullback. But then throw two running backs out there then, and have one block. So those were the two situations that I didn't like early in the game. But beyond, I mean, actually, I mean, they went scoreless in the first quarter because of that, because they didn't manage those situations well. It, you, you forget about it now because they were up 20 to nothing at halftime. 
But it was scoreless chapter one. But that's really it. I mean, they move the ball really well. They play great offense. Rojo is in the zone. He's running better than we've seen him, I think, ever. Darnold has looked excellent now for a few weeks. He had another uh, another historic game that quietly went, you know, it went unnoticed, but threw for over 300, ran for over 30. That hadn't happened before. First time. USC history. Wow. Yeah, they, they're good in offense. No, in fact, they're great. They're, they're borderline elite. It's just situationally, they struggle. They struggle on third down, struggle on fourth down. They've struggled in the red zone. They were better in this game. But generally speaking, they've been really, really bad. One of the worst teams in the country in the red zone conversion. Yeah, I, I think that pretty much uh, kind of supports what we've been talking about most of the season and that we're not going to talk about too much on this show. You know what I mean? It's just it, it kind of leads to why. Why is that happening? And we look for reasons and we have our opinions. So, What else stood out to you about what they did, uh, offense or defense? Uh, I, I honestly, to me, it was, it was the Sam Darnold and Ronald Jones show. I thought that it, both of those performances, it was like, again, you know, confirmation of USC might have the best quarterback in the country. I know the numbers don't show it and it's not going to get recognized this year, but they might have that guy and they might have the best running back in the country. Uh, that's what jumped out to me about this game because I felt like, uh, Colorado came to stop the run because they knew they had to. Uh, they knew that that was their issue and that everybody in the building knew U.S. was going to try to run on them. And Ronald Jones was able to be pretty amazing anyway. He and grinded. Then, that was a lot of Rojo yeah. in that game. I mean, Colorado was in the right position. I don't think they played it poorly. I think Rojo no. was just better. And he's stronger now, and it's harder. He's more to deal with. Yeah. And then when USC went away from that, when it felt like, okay, you know, even though this is working, maybe the offense isn't scoring too much, you know, or as much as uh, as wanted, they went, they turned to Sam Darnold. They put it on his shoulders, and I thought he was perfect. I, I like, thought I was like, wow, like, this is a perfect game from him. He's making absolutely no mistakes. And so that's what jumped out to me is this just like, again, it's like these two guys are so special. Uh, you know, it, it, it's the sky's the limit for both of them. I really do feel that way. Outside of them, I'm not too sure too much stood out. I thought the receivers, I, I should mention the receivers because uh, Sam Darnold went to everybody and they all uh, looked good. Deontay Burnett, Tyler Vaughns, Michael Pittman. Right, they all made plays. Stephen Mitchell made a big play. They all made plays. So I thought, you know, the offense outside of the offensive line, everybody looked incredible. I thought the offensive line looked a little bit more average, as they have been uh, all season. You know, I thought that they they did their job against Colorado, but they didn't really handle that defensive line the way you would expect a USC team to. Um, defensively, I thought they looked really good until the offense kind of stalled a bit in the second half. I thought the offense kind of disappeared a bit for a while. And uh, I, th- I think that when that happens, uh, the the defense sometimes has time or has trouble, uh, you know, keeping up with the opposing offense and looks tired and, at times. And I think they can get into trouble a little bit. So that jumped out to me. Uh, not really a good thing, but the, it seems like the defense can be had if, if USC isn't moving the ball. And uh, earlier in the year, it didn't really feel that way. It felt like USC wasn't moving the ball that well, and the defense just stepped up and dealt with it. I don't know if they're playing better offenses or, um, you know, if, if maybe it was – I know a lot of people were talking about the altitude in Colorado. Maybe that, you know, played in, a part in this game. Um, but I noticed that as well. It seems like the defense earlier on, I was like, wow, they're – it seemed like they're on the border of being special. The offense is kind of a mess. And uh, in this game, it felt a little bit different. It felt a little bit the opposite. So. Well, okay, let, let's address this directly. Because, um, well, I felt that way maybe a week ago in the Arizona game where the defense clearly tired in that game and just couldn't sustain the level that they played at in the first half. 
the second half of this game, I'm not sure that that's what happened. Okay, let, let's rewind the tape and go back to how Colorado scored. In the middle of the third quarter, they had a 79-yard touchdown. It was a blown coverage where you know, one guy messes up and they kick it to the house. So I wouldn't just say defense because that's very general when I, I really fell on one guy. Next touchdown was a blocked punt and Colorado had a one yard to go. And it, it took three plays to do it. They were stuffed a couple times and then they scored. Okay. Later, Colorado kicks a field goal, a uh, pretty short field. They, they didn't go, they didn't go too far. Um, finally, Colorado again, 57 yard touchdown pass, similar to the earlier one, blown coverage, one guy, touchdown. Now, this all counts, it, it all matters, but is it the whole defense? Or is it you know, is it, is it a person? Is it yeah. an individual making a mistake? See, um, I, I felt like I did see the whole defense sort of, I don't know if it was relax or tire or something. And, and this is what it was, and this is what stood out to me, is Colorado never really got the run game going and like that well, and that's usually but, where you see it. But that's but, what they do, though. See, they, Philip Lindsay came in as, I think, a third-leading yeah. rusher in the entire country, and USC shut him down. They took that understand. away. I understand that, but where, where it stood out to me was that I felt earlier in the game when Colorado was passing, their quarterback felt pressure, had this had kind of happy feet in the pocket. It seemed like even on plays where he had time, he was inaccurate because it felt like USC's coming, USC's coming. I felt there like was later, a big pass rush, for sure. Yeah, I felt yeah. like later in the game the pass rush – wasn't there as much. I felt like he was much more comfortable in the pocket, and you started okay. to see these these passes get hit. I think that kind of plays. I know that there were busted coverage coverages, but I think that kind of plays into the long passes as well. Because yeah. I think if he was uncomfortable in the pocket, maybe those don't happen. So that's where I saw it. Is I felt like I saw this incredible pass rush. I felt like they they shut the run down pretty well all game, but I saw this incredible pass rush, and I felt like later in the game it wasn't there. I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they changed you know something schematically for some reason. Maybe they did, but to me, it kind of seemed like okay, these guys aren't coming as hard anymore, and it, it felt like they had tired. The, the offense wasn't moving as well for yeah. USC and Colorado. All of a sudden, it's just like oh, we can score on you. This could be you know a competitive or whatever. So that's, that's valid. That, that's actually valid. I understand. I mean, I think there was a bit of a drop off in pressure. Because early in the game, there was so much pressure that Colorado turned to the quick passing game, and that's what that's what created the pick six for Ajene. You know, he he jumped the route because Colorado was trying to just live uh, going you know laterally, yeah, and, and peak them five yards at a time, and Ajene saw that, and that proved to be a really important interception return right before the half. Oh, I mean, yeah. it kind of it kind of. I mean, it didn't end the game, but it, it really buried Colorado. And then USC came out and then scored, you know, early in the third quarter, and so it's twenty-seven nothing. And that game is, for all intents and purposes, over at that point. So you know, Colorado's going to throw their way back. They're going to try to throw their way back into the game, and whether they're successful or not, they're going to be throwing the ball a lot. And where maybe the receivers could kind of let Steven Montez down in the first half a few times, because I thought they did. They dropped a couple. Yeah. They made those plays in the second half. You had a couple um, touchdown throws. So, yeah, I mean, I just don't want to say it was night and day between the first and second half. I thought the defense performed pretty well. I thought they were excellent again in the first half. And I still think they were good in the second half. Maybe not quite as good. Uh, they have to figure that out. I mean, I, that's always been a common thread with Pendergast. Those big plays. Kind of home run or strikeout with him at times. Um, I, I'm, I'm yeah. curious to hear what he'll say about it this week. We didn't get a chance to talk to him after the game. But um, I'd like to know more about what happened 
particularly on the two long touchdown throws. Because outside of a couple plays, which again, that might have been uh, created in part by the lack of uh, a pass rush, but outside of a couple plays, Colorado didn't do that much offensively. No. You know, it, it was really a couple big plays that burned USC, and I bet they were a bit tired uh, with the offense not quite as successful and maintaining drives as well in the second half. But I, a lot of, I, I chuck up some of this, not all of it, but some of it to you're ahead 27 nothing. Yeah. Right? I mean, it, it's just, it's going to happen. And, and that's where they are. Um, I don't know. I, maybe you got to play more people earlier in games. So one thing that I could say is different with this defense that I would point to from the more dominant defenses that we're used to in the past from USC, it's something that Sean Cody always mentions to me when I talk to him about this, is that they rotated throughout the game. They rotated in that first and second quarter. Where this one, this team doesn't as much. They do rotate some, but they don't rotate a lot. And maybe that leads to poor performance in the second half. Where, I mean, I remember USC defenses in the past dominating the second half of a game. Especially if it was a tight game. And this one struggles more in the second half because they might be a little bit more worn out because they don't rotate as much in the first half. I think it's fair. It's a fair point. One other thing I want to get back to, uh, that you mentioned the receivers, they also were really good in this game. I mean, obviously Rojo and Donald were the stars, but this game, maybe the first time all year, felt like a game from last year in terms of the way that they move the ball through the air where Darnold was able to pick the defense apart by using Tyler Vaughn, by using John K. Burnett, by using Michael Pittman, by using Stephen Mitchell, all in the same game. It wasn't like one guy had his game and another guy did well and then the rest of the guys were quiet. You know, we've seen a lot of that this year where maybe there will be like eight or nine guys who catch a pass but six of them catch, like, one pass or two, and then two guys have, like, seven or eight catches. This game, for the first time all year, you had four different guys catch at least four passes, and it was downfield. You know, Pittman had a 32-yard catch, Mitchell had a 30-yard catch, Vaughn had a 29-yard catch, Burnett had a 37-yard catch. So there was some explosion among the entire group. And that's what we got last year, uh, you know, when we, when we were watching Juju and Darius and then Burnett come in. You know, Mitchell early in the first half of the year, but then Burnett in the second half of the year. It would usually be a combination of at least two of the three, if not all three. And in this game, it felt like that, where USC, you, like, Darnold could go wherever he wanted. And these receivers could beat you, all four of them. They were very, very good. Um, they were deep. That's four guys right there. That that's yeah. hard. You know, not, not many people have that. I mean, no. it wasn't like Darnold completed forty passes and they were throwing seventy five percent of the time. He only had twenty one completions. Okay, and then you had nineteen of them to these four guys because they're your top four guys. So that's what you want. This is where this offense can be dominant, where they pretty much have, like I mentioned at the top of the show, they have all the pieces. They don't really have a weakness here. Offensively, they're playing their best football in the month of November. And they look ready. They look ready to finish out the year strong on offense. Offense is always, to me, the yellow flag, sometimes even the red flag, like in the Wazoo game and Notre Dame as well, where, well, how far can this team go when the offense is sputtering? Right now, yeah. Like, I think they could beat a Final Four team 
when they're playing this type of offense. And again, the defense, they've been good all year. They've been excellent for parts of games through a lot of the year, including the last two weeks. And in ASU, they were really dominant as well. So the defense dominates portions of games. Now the offense is looking dominant. So Do they get- this is the USC that we've been waiting for, right? This is the USC yeah. that, that everybody was waiting for. And 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 that's why. <laughs> you know, what were you going to ask me? Because I'll, I'll I'll get to what you want to say before I'm. Oh I'm say. no, say it. Because I was just going to ask you if they're going to break fifty on UCLA, if it's finally going to happen, and they're going to jump over that mark. Yeah, I didn't even thought of that. I mean, you're right. They they've had forty nine a couple times. They haven't gotten to fifty. It where like Oregon State should win a game at home that they should yeah. be able to break fifty. And they couldn't even break 40. And that's indicative of where they were at at that time, you know, what, was that a month ago, five weeks ago. They're it in a much like different place. Yeah. Yeah, they could break 50. Will they? I don't know. I, I mean, I guess I don't really care. But I just see a team that, I, I don't know, it makes me curious. They, they, they've, been, they've been so good right now. On both sides of the ball, maybe not for the entire game. You know, I mean, outside of Stanford and ASU, those are the two complete games where these last two they look like they could have been, you know, 35, 40 point wins. That's how well USC was playing for parts of those games. But I don't care about the Pac-12 South. This team looks like one that could play with most everyone. I mean, I haven't seen a dominant team in college football all year. No. There Not usually one. isn't one. I mean, there usually is like one or two, maybe. And now there isn't even one, I don't think, this year. So no. I, I'm totally it, It's you. hard to know who's even great. Right now I see a lot of good teams. Yeah. But very few great teams. And I don't even have a lot of conviction about calling anybody great right now. Yeah. You know, I mean, Alabama, Miami are undefeated. So... If you want to call them great, I'm not going to argue that, of course. Wisconsin still undefeated, but they seem suspect for obviously. They haven't played anyone. Yeah. Um, maybe they'll prove to be great when they when they get to that part of their schedule. But right now, I look at USC and, like, they're really good. And there's a bunch of other teams out there that are really good. And when they play like this, then... I think they have a real shot. I think that they would be legitimate um, contenders. And I don't see them getting that opportunity. I mean, no. I guess we could talk about that, the, the ranking, which will the next ranking will come out on Tuesday as we record this Monday evening. You know, they're coming off a number 11 ranking. They jumped six spots after beating Arizona. You're not going to see them make that leap again after beating Colorado because... Uh, what happened in front of them is not going to lead to that. In fact, they, they might just move up like a spot. I, I don't even know that they're going to break the top 10 right now. No. I can see Ohio State, who's behind them, possibly jumping them. Yep. You know, I, I, I don't really try to get in the, mind, the minds of this committee because right now I, I don't think USC is a player for the final four spot. But when I look at who's... In the top ten, I don't see anybody that just USC can't play with. I completely agree. I, I actually think that for their playoff spot, I never thought it was really going to happen and there was much of a chance. But I actually think that Notre Dame lost as happy as many USC fans probably were to see their big rival lose and lose badly. That's going to hurt them. That's going to yeah. hurt any chance that they have, really, because I felt like you know, the best scenario for USC to try to sneak in is if, you know, Georgia went undefeated, won the SEC, and Notre Dame just killed everybody in their path, and then that was your one and two, and you're trying to fill out the other four. Because then you're looking at USC like, you know, they lost the game against Washington State. They probably shouldn't have. They're better than that team. And, well, they're uh, going to yeah, have a chance to night. avenge that. That's the, yeah, thing. Exactly. That's the wrinkle. I, I know that they've been forgiven to some extent for being banged up, in that Washington State game, and now they were they very well could play them in the Pac-12 title game. 
Yeah, and so that would be huge. Yeah, they were able to avenge that convincingly, then the Notre Dame game could be excused to some extent if Notre Dame was ranked number two. Yeah, but now what are you going to do? Because Notre Dame got blown out, Georgia got blown out, so now it's like, does Notre Dame have to lose twice before USC is in you know position no, over them? Or... They have to lose to Stanford. Yeah, but you, you know, but it's like there's there's more now. All of a sudden, it's like oh Auburn, you know, they're in it. When before it was kind of like oh we're just sort of crossing them off because we'll assume yeah. Georgia beats them. USC jumps Auburn. How is USC going to jump Georgia? You know what I mean? There's like all these. All these kind of new wrinkles just based on the fact that Notre Dame and Georgia weren't competitive. And I think that that was USC's best way in. Um, I, I want to take a minute to talk about the playoffs, though, because this, this really this bothers me that um, we have to discuss this and that, you know, this is up for debate. And I think it causes a lot of anger across uh, the country in college football. And this is obviously college football throughout all of time, uh, as it's pretty much all opinion based than the national championship or whatever else. But uh, it should really, you know, it should just expand to six or eight and take all the Power Five conference champions. I think USC should have a shot to play for a national championship if they win the Pac-12. I think any conference champion should. Why not? You know what I mean? Like you've talked about, I don't know who the best team is. Uh, you know, there's there's not a lot of great football being played out there. And, and I also, you know, personally, you've heard me on this show talk, you know, poorly about the Pac-12 and the level of competition this year. I think it's down this year. I don't think it's the level that I'm used to. But that's my opinion. And I don't know for a fact. And nobody does. Nobody really does know who the best team is, who the best conference is. So I just think it's a shame that um, if you don't win your conference, you can't play for it all. And that, you know, we're going to have debate, I think, maybe on the message board, definitely for sure about how good USC is after this season, you know, because of the, you know, the Pac-12 or whatever else, uh, when they're going to have this probably a really good top five record and a conference championship. And, you know, I'm sure some people will argue that they might have finished the season as, you know, arguably one of the better teams in college football, one of the best teams. So, like last year. Yeah, I think it's a shame that, yeah. you know, we can't just have a system and it would only take one more game if you bump it to six or eight teams. Uh, we can't have a system where, hey, if you win, if you're the best team out of one of these Power Five conferences, you can't just compete for a national championship. I don't understand why that's not the case anymore. So Yeah. No, I've thought that for a very long time, actually. Uh, going back to when the BCS was first implemented, and I thought it was weird how they tried to make it so mathematical when clearly it was subjective. Yeah. And you were picking two... You know, it just, it felt clumsy, obviously, for, for obvious reasons. I mean, yeah. you go back to 03 as a prime example where USC is number one in both polls, polls that are, you know, that are uh, evaluated each week. You know, people are, are judging each week. And as flawed as they are, at least it's a big p uh, pool of people that are voting on it, and they're doing it for the whole year. And USC was number one, and then they don't go to the BCS title game, you yeah. know, three. But now, I mean, four is better than two. It's still it's, clumsy, though. But, but yeah, so the counter argument has always been that, you know, the beauty of college football is that, the, you know, the, there's such a slim margin for error. And that every week is a pseudo-elimination game for everyone. But that's not true. You, you can lose. It just kind of depends on who you lose to and how people perceive that loss yeah. and when it happens and really who you are and what conference you belong to and, and all these matters of opinion. So it's still wildly subjective when conference titles are not subjective. They're objective. Yeah. Right? I mean... Yeah. Now, not, not all conferences are created equal. I understand that. But you've already differentiated between Power 5 and Group of 5. There's a clear delineation between the level of those two groups. So, while, yeah, I, I get that not all Power 5 conferences are totally equal, and I'm not going to pretend like the Pac-12 is the best one or even the second best one. But when USC wins this Pac-12, 
You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that they, I'm not saying that they've already won it this year. But I'm saying when when you have this Pac-12 winner, right? When they come out of the Pac-12 conference, where do they end up in the rankings? Washington last year was number four, and USC, which didn't even win it, ended up number three. So it's not like it's a fraudulent conference title winner. The Pac-12 winner, whether it's been Washington or Stanford or Oregon or USC before that, they're always in the five, they're always in the top five yeah. every year. The Pac-12 winner ends up in the top five. So you're you're not getting a weak conference title winner from the Pac-12. They're not the issue. They belong. No. They belong. So this year, USC can win the Pac-12. They're not going to finish in the top four. I don't even know if they'll be in the top five. They might be at that point, number six or seven. I really don't know. I, I just don't even know. But it looks like they will not be in the top four. And I think it's dumb. that Not that they're not in the top four, but that they wouldn't be in a tournament to decide the champion when they have two lo- they would have two losses and there would be other teams that would have two losses that would be just as questionable. Why is it still so subjective? It should be objective. And, and I, it- I, I've always got that. Now, I'm not saying this because USC might fall into this. No, it, it just... You win your conference, you win a Power 5 conference, you win a conference title game, meaning you've beaten another division champion and you've won your division. So either way, whether you have a hard division or you're beating a worthy division title opponent, one way or another, you'll be proven for real. You win a conference title game, you should have a shot to play for the national title. And this is what always bugged me about the argument that, uh, you know, it needs to be so hard to get there. You know, it it needs to be, you need to be one or two. You need to not lose or lose once or whatever else. You know, the beauty of college football is that you get eliminated during the regular season. What's always frustrated me about that argument is that there's so many other teams that could argue that they should be one or two, that this eliminates it. And we're talking about, I mean, the second it went to four teams, it became pretty obvious that those four teams were all worthy of being a national champion and that mm-hmm. it never felt like, oh, this team shouldn't be in it. You know, this this it felt like we expanded this field too far. If we're talking about six teams, right? I'll make the argument for that. We're talking about the five teams that won the the conference and their championship game, like you mentioned, which is incredibly hard and difficult and should be enough to have you compete for a national title. And then you have to figure that if for some reason you don't win that conference championship game and you get upset, to be an at-large team, you have to be, like, incredible. So I don't think it changes any of, you know, that feeling of uh, the national champion has to be basically perfect to win and i even think if a team sneaks into a you know into a conference championship win like if stanford beat usc or whatever they're nine and three right and they win that game and they're the pac-12 champion i even think that they you know would have a a fair argument for having a shot at a national championship at 10 and three with a win over usc right and that would Um, mean a win over notre dame as well a win over notre dame so i guess they could they could even lose and go what, like 8-4 and four and win the Pac-12. But even then, yeah. think about it. How often does that happen? It doesn't happen very often, but let's just say it did. Let's say Stanford yeah. won the Pac-12 at 9-4, and four, okay, uh-huh. and got into the playoffs in our scenario. Okay. They would still have to beat three teams ranked in right. the top six to win a national championship. And if you look at that resume at the end of the season, you're like, oh, they had four losses. But they would have ended the year with wins over like USC and Alabama and Miami, and that resume would look just fine all of a sudden to me. Anyway, maybe others disagree, but I really don't see a downside at all to this argument, yeah. and I, I think it would solve so many problems and solve a lot of anger amongst college football fans because every year I feel like fans feel like, oh, are we being slighted? Is the media? Is the media uh, paying enough attention to us, ranking us properly, because all these things matter into the end game of winning a national title and building your football program? And it, none of this anger would exist if you could just play your way to the top. 
and throughout all of you know college football history, you can't play your way to the top for some reason. So it's time for that to change. Yeah, a couple quick thoughts in our revised system, which I don't really like six because then you're giving two teams a bye. I'd rather go eight. But I'm with you, but I just I argued for six because if I think when you get to eight, people start to talk about you know are these teams really worthy of winning the national title? And I think they would be, and I well, would be totally fine with eight. So I think you set up. I was going to address that. I think you set up stipulations on that. I don't believe there's been a three-loss national title winner. Um, no. If, if it happened, it happened before like my grandfather was born, right? But, so that, but then that irrelevant. couldn't have even. But that couldn't even happen because there were ten games at that. Yeah, time. I, I don't even. I don't think it happened. But anyway, so yeah. we we know that there's been two-loss champions. So you can even make the stipulation that the conference title winner, while it would be an automatic bid into this tournament into the eight or six, and you prefer, they can't have three losses. You know what I mean? You could you draw a yeah. hard line there. Like, you're going to have enough teams, obviously, to fill out six or eight with just two losses or less. And you're going to have, you know, I think you're going to have five conference title winners, but maybe you have four. The point is, you make it more objective. At the end of the day, you want the teams that belong there. And I think... When you go four right now, and you're going to favor certain conferences, and we know which one. Yep. Right? Like, you have Ohio State last year. It had one loss. It was a very good team, but didn't even play in their conference title game. And essentially benefited from that. Because by not playing another game, they just kept their ranking. Where if they play it, maybe they lose it, and they fall out. Well, think about the SEC, too. It feels like every year the SEC has to prove that they don't have two teams for the playoffs before that. Yeah, they have to they, prove that they don't have it. Like, yeah, they already because they're are given two, two by default. Four. Yeah, yeah, out of four. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so those are some of the thoughts that we have uh, in light of how USC's playing. Of course, they still have a lot to prove. It can all be a moot point if yep. uh, they lose to UCLA or lose in the Pac-12 title game. Uh, I don't see them losing to UCLA. I think it's a bad matchup for UCLA. Um, usually I'm excited about this game because it's a rivalry, and I've seen so many over the years where even when one team is a lot better than the other, um, it got kind of weird and kind of crazy. Um, especially when the better team goes on the road. But that's obviously not the case yeah. here. <laughs> Additionally, UCLA has uh, arguably the worst run defense in the country. Uh, it's just beyond comprehension how bad they've gotten there. I mean, even a year ago, UCLA, people forget, they had a good defense. And really because their offense was so poor, it, it could make the defense look bad and because it put them on the field so much. But they had a good defense, and I think if Rosen had just been healthy, then the whole year would have been different. But I think people would have respected how good they were on defense. But this year, it's an abomination. And with the way USC's playing on offense, the way that they're running the ball, and the way you feel like can't stop the run, I don't think this game will be good at all. No. Uh, I, I expect USC to put up one of those historical blowouts on the Bruins. But I am excited for this game, too, because, like you said, rivalries are fun. And if it is close for some reason, what I always like about USC-UCLA, and there, there's no other game that I really think feels this way, is if it is close for some reason, even if nothing's on the line, obviously stuff's on the line for USC this year, although I guess they've clinched not up really. the division. They've yeah. clinched up the division, so maybe not. But... Even if nothing's on the line, if that game is close and it could go either way towards the end, it really feels like it matters so much. Yeah. I've ne- it, it's it's so strange. There's no, yeah. and I, it's because of the city and bragging rights and you know yeah. families you know being split on the teams or whatever. But really, like both teams could be three and nine or whatever. And if that game is close at the end, it just feels like the biggest game in the world. And that's what I love about that game is that it can feel so special for no reason, really. So yeah, I'm in the moment, for it. you're right. Yeah. In the moment, it 
it, you can tell it's palpable that how much it matters to everyone on the field, everyone in stands. It's a special game, and so I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, even though I don't think it will be competitive. No. And then uh, I'm really curious. I don't know who USC is going to play in the Pac-12 title game. Um, so my final uh, thoughts here. I want to know who you think they'll end up playing. Basically, Stanford has to beat Cal this weekend. And if they do, then they're waiting on the result of Wazoo and Washington. If Wazoo loses to Washington, then Stanford will be the North champion. If Wazoo were to beat Washington then they own the tiebreaker over Stanford, and that Stanford-Cal game is irrelevant, and Wazoo will go. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I, I really don't know, because it feels like it could go in a lot of different directions. I think I would expect Stanford to beat Cal, although I, I right. guess that's not as, you know, of a lock as it might have seemed before the season. Uh, but that, that Washington-Washington State game is a toss-up. I, I don't think Washington's as good as anybody really thought, um, but... They still have a good defense, and it feels like they can still beat, uh, you know, a lot of teams, and especially uh, you know, Pac-12 North team with a few losses or whatever else. But Washington State's dangerous, and they can move the ball. So the Apple Cup's going to be crazy this year. I really don't know. I guess if I had to pick, I would just pick Stanford because um, I, I don't. I see them winning the Cal game, and I could totally see Washington beating Washington State. I think that if Stanford didn't beat Washington. Most people probably would have expected Washington to beat Washington State, you know. Um, so I, I guess I'll go Stanford. I think that that'll be the team, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Wazoo's in there. And I, I know USC. Well, I know USC prefers to get Wazoo for the revenge factor. Um, both can be difficult matchups for USC. I would expect USC to win both those games, uh, either against either team. But I, I think that both those teams can do things that give USC issue, and, and it could make that game interesting, and, and it should definitely be much more interesting than this USC-UCLA game. I got lost there. So you think that Stanford will end up representing I'll pick Stanford. I'll pick Stanford. I'm not sure. Could go either way. Um, I yeah. think both will be good games if either team plays USC, and I think both of them do things that – could give USC issue, but I guess I'll pick Stanford. I don't know. It's a toss-up, honestly. So uh, I think I'd prefer to see USC-Stanford again. I don't know why. Um, maybe just because it feels more like the kind of football I like, so maybe I'm secretly rooting for that game anyway. But I'll pick Stanford for that. Both games are really intriguing because either you have – I mean, you have a rematch for you know for Stanford where they want to avenge the loss to USC – or for USC, Avenge versus Washington State. Playing up in Santa Clara, I think that, that could, I guess, be challenging for USC to play Stanford there, although, I mean, they don't have a huge home crowd presence. No, no but, one cares about Stanford. But football. they're down the street, so they're just yeah. very comfortable there. It's also a rematch from two years ago. And with Wazoo, it's just different, where you can play them in a neutral site, I think USC probably feels really good about that game right now. I don't know what's going to happen either. I mean, of course, I think Stanford will beat Cal. But with the Apple Cup, if I had to pick, I think Washington will beat Washington State. Okay. Yeah, so like you. I mean, where I'm kind of unsure, but I guess I'm expecting a rematch with Stanford. Now, for the purposes of USC's ranking... They would USC would probably benefit from Washington State beating Washington, and then USC beating up on Washington State. I think that would probably vault them to their highest possible ranking, with Stanford beating Cal and beating Notre Dame. Yeah, well, that's that's the point I was going to make is that if Stanford does beat Notre Dame. I think that Stanford would act, might actually help USC's ranking more, even though the Washington State game would be like the revenge, like, oh, they don't really have two losses anymore, you know, kind of deal after that. So Yeah, um, right. Cause yeah. I feel like if they beat Stanford twice, 
maybe the committee just kind of sees that, like, okay, well, you've already done that. Yeah. You should have done that. Exactly. Uh, and then, the but the revenge, it's it's not fair, but doesn't it almost feel like you can argue, like, they're a one-and-a-half loss team? You know what I mean? Like, it does. I know that you don't, but it just seems like just because you get revenge on a team, it's almost like the first one doesn't count as much anymore. Yeah. It's like, oh, that wasn't real. So Either way... It looks like they're going to play a three-loss team, whether it's Stanford or Wagyu. Washington, see what USC really needed was Washington to win out. Yeah. Uh, now, if Washington were to beat Wagyu and Stanford were to lose to Cal, then you're facing a two-loss Washington team, which would have a higher record, or a better record but a higher ranking than these other teams would have I think if, opponent. I think if Washington had been Stanford, they probably would have been in the top 10, right? Like number 10 maybe, but like... No, higher. They, yeah, they, higher. they already were. They already oh, were okay. in the top 10. I thought they were like 12 or something for some no. reason. Okay. And then you're adding a, a game versus Wazoo. They would have been playing for a Final Four. Yeah. That's the position that they would have been in. And then USC, if they, if they beat them, then they supplant them and maybe they end up I think, again, right outside the Final Four. I really don't think, unfortunately, USC could crack this Final Four. You know, a lot of things have to happen, but even with a lot of things happening, it just seems like they're not going to be pushed up enough. No. They need a miracle. That's where it's at. I mean, it it takes so much that it's hard to even, like, spell it out. You know, to go through all the different scenarios, it's not even clear that, oh, if, if... these seven things happened, USC would definitely be number four. Yeah. And that's not even clear right now. What exactly needs to happen? It's like everyone needs to lose and some of them play each other, so they can't both lose that weekend. Right. You know what I mean? So, they need some, like, zero-zero ties and such or something. Yeah. Well, the Fiesta Bowl, which is where I believe USC is going if they went out, is, Fiesta. Uh, is a nice bowl game. That's a huge bowl game. Oh, yeah. And they would get a huge opponent, I would expect, in that game. I think it'd be a great game. You know, if we're, if we're just looking at matchup-wise, you're not facing uh, an average team in that game. No. You're not facing just, like, a, a good team in that game. You're going to face a really good team that's, you know, on your level. That will give you a game that, that might beat you. Yeah, and you know the other thing, and this is probably dumb, but it uh, gives them the chance to win a Fiesta Bowl, which might seem stupid because you might be like, oh, you know, they'd rather be in the playoffs or whatever, and obviously they would, but you know, you win that, you have that trophy in Heritage Hall, and they walk through and they go, oh, here's all our Rose Bowls, here's our Orange Bowl, here's our Fiesta Bowl. I think that actually means something. You know what I mean? Like, even though yeah. it might mean more to like have another Rose Bowl there or something like. I think the recruits or whatever actually look and they go, oh, they want a Fiesta Bowl too. You know, it's just like, it means something for some reason. So, yeah, I think I mean, that's, that's a big deal. You look at what Carol did and I mean, it was a lot of Rose Bowl, but you know, you had an Orange Bowl in there that wasn't the national title and yeah. this kind of would fall in line with that. You know, a BCS Bowl for lack of a better term, now a New Year's Six Bowl. Um, now, if USC were to lose the conference title game, then I think they're going to end up in the Alamo Bowl. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not. I mean, it, it's definitely not what they want. It's not the Sun Bowl. It's better so than the Holiday that. Bowl. Yeah, I mean, bowl wise, but not for <laughs> USC fans. I mean, right? Wouldn't USC fans rather be at the Holiday Bowl? Right? I mean, like you mean in San Diego. They, yeah, because they could travel and, and go see it. You know, it's yeah. I know you could travel to the Alamo Bowl, but it just seems like a pain in the butt. I don't get that bowl lineup for the Pac-12. Honestly, I don't even get it. It's like, why would you go to Texas? But yeah. I've never been to San Antonio, so I'm down if that's what happens. Oh, go check out Riverwalk and and uh, yeah, and the Alamo and the Alamo, right? Yeah, it's fun. Thank you, Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, hey, I've been there, so okay. Have fun. All right, we're good. We're good. Okay, 
Well, thank you so much for listening, as always, to uh, the Trojansports.com podcast. If you're not a subscriber, please sign up at usc.rivals.com slash sign underscore up. We have tons of coverage from this game against Colorado, tons of recruiting staff coming, especially for this weekend. USC is going to host a bunch of official visitors uh, for the UCLA game, and pretty much everybody in town, I think, is going to be at that game, too. So we'll have all that. Uh, For Adam J. Maya, I'm Chris Swanson. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you're not mad at us this week, and we hope you're going to listen to us next week. Take care. Be good.